0: It's the field of 12 after dark fellas. It's officially week one. That's the first time we can say that in this beautiful college football season. My name is Greg Waddell. I'm here with Adam Bredeman. I'm here with Darian Wrencher. We're gonna talk a little bit about week zero, just a tiny little bit. We're gonna go around the horn, give a toast to some of the best performers from week zero, but then we're gonna move forward. We're gonna talk about this great slate that we have this upcoming week, including a bunch of games Thursday night that should not be overlooked. There's games Friday. There's games Saturday, Sunday. It's really college football season now. You've got to love it. Boys, how are you, Adam? This is my first time being on air with you. It's great to be here with you, my friend. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm great, man. I'm fired up. Football is here finally. We've been waiting a while, man. And and uh, I'm, I'm loving the new trend of week zero in college football, man. You, you, you got you to gotta love a little early action.
0: Yeah, who I mean, who's gonna complain about watching Scott Frost fumble and mess things up? You know, it is what it is. Darian, you
2: look good, man. Good to see you. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be back on the show, joining my people, Fiddle 12 family. Uh, but I'm good. Like like you said, it's just I'm glad to see somebody back out on the green, on the grass, uh, some pads popping. It's just good for it's good for good for the world, good for America. You know, uh, finally got some football back.
0: Everything feels right in the world. Again, it's beautiful. All right, let's uh, let's do the turn the page backwards real quick. Let's talk about the winners of week zero. Let's just go around the horn quickly. Give a toast. This could be to a player. This could be to a coach. This could be to a team. Whoever your winner from week zero of college football was Adam, let's throw to you first who you got for your winner of the week.
1: Well, I'm excited for this because I feel like Every narrative in the, in the national media has been about Scott Frost, how he blew the game, how Nebraska's terrible. He's getting fired, but no one's talking about Pat Fitzgerald and how he just shows up week after week primetime game after primetime game and gets the job done lunch pill mentality it's almost expected at this point but I mean no one thought Northwestern was going to actually win that game and he continuously gets it done and and it's almost it's almost uh, so expected that it's overlooked at this point so we 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 can't overlook Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern so let, let let's uh let's take a sip to Pat, Pat Fitzgerald.
2: Cheers. Cheers.
1: Darren Where, where where's the drink man?
2: I'm not going to lie. I came (laughs) upstairs to my little studio, and my drinks are downstairs. So we got an imaginary drink. Hey, guys, imagine whatever you want is in this drink, your favorite juice drink. We can add some some grown people's drinks to it, but it's it's here. It's here in spirit, in spirit.
0: That's just the Clemson way of outperforming us, really. Adam and I are Big Ten guys. You know, we're not necessarily used to national championships. Apparently, you're not allowed to have a beverage here and there when you're really focused on greatness. I get it. Uh, <laughs> let, let's have you go next, Darian. You you already gave your toast, I believe, right. Saturday night when you were on the show. So you could, you could even double down and go back to that if you want, or you could give us someone fresh who you got for your toast of the week.
2: Yeah, I'm original, man. What double down? Come on. Uh I'm going to give a moral <laughs> I'm going to give a moral victory and moral toast uh to fam you uh Willie Simmons and the crew down there for going to North Carolina and put up a fight. It was a close game. Uh up until the fir- like the first half they were down. I think they had 5 seconds left they were down by a score twenty fourteen. Then it was like 35 and 28 going to the third quarter at the end of the third quarter. So just to go in there especially to HBC- HBCU team and put up a fight and you feel like you have the confidence in your guys if they can go back and win, win in, their, in your own conference, is I salute to it. And at the same time, you guys know the story. They had like 25 guys ineligible. It was nuts. Uh, so for them to rally back last minute and go, go to Chapel Hill and put up a decent fight, my my imaginary toast goes to them.
0: Cheers. That's a heck Cheers. of an imaginary
2: Cheers. toast. Come on. <laughs> I love
1: it.
0: All right. I'm going to get in my uh, my feelings a little bit here, gentlemen. It's hard for me to not be selfish. But uh, again, Darian knows this from our first show together. I am the resident gambler on the field of 12 After Dark Network. (laughs) Uh, And look, I gave out a parlay on our best bet show with Doster last week that uh, our our first ever retirement parlay hundred bucks to win like sixty thousand dollars. We're going to do that every week. We're going to try to win some money. (laughs) But here's the thing, gentlemen. I had a parlay this weekend. ten legs nine of them hit the last thing I needed. The last thing I needed to win $50,000 was Hawaii to cover 10 and a half points just to cover, not even to win the game, just cover like normal.
1: They They got 63
0: to 10, absolutely smoked. And, uh, you know, behind the curtain, I was at a friend's wedding rehearsal that night. I couldn't even hedge. They were down 40 points so fast. There was nothing I could do. That's a lesson to all the people at home to hedge whenever possible. Gamble responsibly at BetRivers. Rivers. But it's also my toast of the week to Vanderbilt football because I came on here and I crapped all over Vanderbilt last year. <laughs> I said that they're not a concern at all. They're not going to go across the ocean to the islands. Yeah. And I don't care how bad Hawaii is. I don't take them seriously. No, I should not have just floated by Vanderbilt, a 53-point win in a football game. I don't care who you're playing. That's tough to do. So Vanderbilt, 100%. you stole money from me, but I toast to you. Good job. Yeah.
2: They rush for 400 yards. I mean, it, it, it don't matter who you play. If you rushed 40 yards. Look, hats off to you. Your scheme worked. You did something right. Salute.
1: Yeah, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you what too. I don't know how good Vanderbilt's gonna be the rest of the year, but Mike Wright's a, a dynamic player who's exciting to watch. So that that was your first mistake, man. You shouldn't have bet <laughs> against Mike Wright. Come on. <laughs>
0: Lesson learned clearly. Uh, let <laughs> we'll see if I overcompensate and start
1: putting a little too much trust in the common course here. The next couple, <laughs> yeah, you're, weeks. Gonna, you're gonna uh, be the biggest <laughs> Vanderbilt better yeah.
0: every single week. I'm, I'm on them. All right, let's uh, le- before we get into games this week, which we're gonna spend much of the second half of the show talking about, uh, I want to kind of just pose a, a broader question to you guys going into this week. So, there's a lot of high profile first-year head coaches that are in this sport this season. Uh, Obviously, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, he's the first that comes to mind for me, but you've got Dan Lanning, you've got Brent Venables. Give me a first-year head coach that in your mind is primed to exceed expectations. Whatever you think the national consensus is on this guy, give me someone that you would put your chips behind in a way where he will outperform what that national consensus is. Darian, I'm going to go to you first on this one.
2: All right, out of the three guys you name, I don't know if the only ex- like exceeding would be to win it all. Like I feel like Dan Dan Landon, Oregon. I mean, Oregon wants to be a national contender. They're kind of, they they obviously want to win their conference, but I don't feel that's exceeding expectations. Like they expect to win the Pac-12. Obviously, Utah uh, won it last year, but they Oregon expects to do that. So Dan Land is getting hired to take Oregon back to the Lamichael James. You know that era of Oregon football where it was really exciting. They were dominating. They were playing for BCS championships, all that good stuff. Uh, then you go down to you go to to kind of Midwest to Marcus Freeman Notre Dame, like Notre Dame's expecting they want to go go all the way. They've been in the playoffs a bunch of times the last four or five years. They want to win it all. And you go to uh, you go kind of you go from Marcus Freeman Dan Landon, you go to Coach B Oklahoma. Oklahoma's won as many games as anybody like the last ten years. Like they, you know what I'm saying. Alpha, none of those three coaches to me, their expectation is like, hey, let's go win a conference championship and be in the playoffs. And if it ain't that, then it's a bus year. So my coach to exceed expectations would be all right. I try not to be biased on the show, even though I got this Clemson thing behind me. Trying to be biased, <laughs> but you said first year head coaches. And so I'm gonna go uh, to Charlottesville, uh, to UVA, to Coach Elliot, Coach Tony Elliot, and I think uh, UVA's expectations are his ex, expectations are low, but their expectations are low. I think they can win the coach. Say here now. They were in they were in the AC championship in 2019. We played them. Uh, for, for that, for the AC title in 2019, and I think they have. You look at Brennan Armstrong. You look at their receivers. They got to figure out the defensive side, but that coastal side to me, there's never been like a proven person on that side. And Pitt is kind of, I can say, rebuilding. With Pitts, kind of figuring it out. I really think it wouldn't be the craziest thing for UVA to win the coastal and be an AC championship against whoever. Uh, I don't. It'll be like a, you know, it'll be one of those three-way ties. But somehow that, if they could just be in a mix to me, that would be exceeding expectations. So my, my book goes to Tony Elliott.
0: Adam Darien mentioned Pitt there in passing and you know, I mean, Penn state guy, Pitt, he's talked a lot of smack. Pat Narduzzi has about the big 10 a lot about if you go a over lot. to that conference, maybe you'd run away with that. I just, I got to pick your brain on that. That man's insane, right? Come on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like Pat Narduzzi. Uh, he's, He's done a really good job at Pitt, but that was just a crazy statement. I mean, it almost – I watched that interview he did where he said that. He said a lot of crazy things during that interview. I feel like he didn't even know he was being recorded because he was talking about how (laughs) he run the table in the Big Ten. I'm like, he can't be serious. Uh, But I like Pitt, man. I mean, Keaton Slovis and, um, you know, obviously losing Kenny Pickett's tough. Losing Mark Whipple, our offensive coordinator, is tough, but – um, Pitt, has got a really good defense and, and, uh, I think they're going to be better than people think. Obviously, anytime you lose, you know, the top quarterback in the country, people are, uh, are going to, you know, lower expectations, but keen slow has paid, has played a lot of football, man. That guy's, that guy's slung, slung the rock around with the pack 12 for a long time. So I'm excited to see what he does. I don't know if Narduzzi
0: ever knows that he's being recorded. And Right now, he's breaking his opponent's starting quarterback news this week. I mean, he went to the press <laughs> conference and said this is who West Virginia is starting. It's JT Daniels. So somebody's got to tell him, like, let's get him in some media relations courses, something. Uh, right. I'm just I'm looking out for my guy, Narduzzi, you know, former Michigan State guy. I want what's it's, best for him, but he's uh, losing
1: he, it, 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 it's funny in Pennsylvania, you know, with a lot of the rivalries, the coaches kind of like, you know, they may be buddies off the field. They don't like each other on the field. Pitt and Penn State literally hate each other. I mean, Narduzzi <laughs> and Franklin despise each other. It's, it's just like the funniest thing. And then Narduzzi goes on. I, I just know how much that probably bothered the whole Penn State staff and, and all of them when they, they talked about running the table in the Big Ten. And, and, you know, Franklin and Penn State always talks about dominating the state in Pennsylvania. So, uh, But it's, it's a, just a funny scenario. Yeah,
0: it's insanity to me. All right, I wanna I wanna go back to the you know the the concept of a new head coach here. And Adam, you have gone through coaching a little bit, right? You've gone mm-hmm. from a player into a coaching role. Uh, so I want to ask you. Obviously, there's no comparison to taking over a program for the first time. But what do you think these guys who are these first year head coaches, especially at a big school, because you have been around you know, the highest prestige football programs in the country, like what type of pressure are they stepping into and what's it like to kind of go from maybe just a guy, or in your case, you were kind of going from a player, one of, you know, Mm almost a hundred guys on a team into all of a sudden now there's a little more spotlight on me. And can you relate to that a little bit and what these guys are going through?
1: Yeah, I think it's intense and the pressure, especially at these, you know, these, big time schools is is intense and it starts right away i mean you, you got to show results year one uh, we've seen it all over the country and the sec uh brian harson and all i mean you see it all the time if you don't compete on day one uh, no one cares anymore and and there aren't even excuses anymore I mean, you have the transfer portal and you can go in and, and, and rebuild your roster in one year. I mean, we, there's, there's teams that have, that have 40 some new players on the roster and come coming into 2022. So, uh, the, the pressure is there and, and then it, it's up to the head coach to decide how am I going to build this program? And it, and, and that also depends on the alignment from the university and what the AD wants and, and, uh, and, and things like that. But you know, like a guy like Lincoln Riley goes to USC and decides that we're gonna totally revamp our roster and we're gonna go attack the transfer portal and bring in tons of new guys. Um, or you know, there's other examples of, of attacking the tra- uh, attacking the high school recruiting. And are you gonna develop guys the right way and and you know try to play the long game and see if you can you know bring in a good high school class and get a couple years under your belt? But it seems like in college football, continuously that the clock gets shorter and shorter. Uh, for when the coaches have to turn their programs around, or when they have to improve it, you know, because a lot of these new head coaches are taking over programs that aren't bad. I mean, you look at Dan Lanning right. at Oregon. Talk about a first-year head coach uh, who's thirty, early thirties, you know, who's taking over a program that Mario Cristobal has built to be arguably the best in the Pac-12 and one of the best in the country. And and talk about pressure. I mean, he better perform in year one now at Oregon. And and uh, and you know, he he's one of my one of my favorite young coaches to watch this uh, this year.
0: Yeah. And he's yeah, would- sort of, he, he's stepping into uh, another guy, Mario Cristobal, who's headed to Miami that I think, you know, e- even beyond the three that I named already, there's a lot of guys who may not even be the first timers now, but these guys who have graduated from wherever their first stop was or second stop into now they're taking that jump to the next prestigious program. Uh, Darian, I kind of cut you off there. You want to jump in with something?
2: Yeah, I would just say you, you kind of each context like he was alluding to is just t- entirely different. I think some coaches uh, they're being brought in to totally revamp a culture. Like Mario Cristobal is going to Miami to bring the U back, which is something like their program has wanted for a while. They've hired a bunch of coaches trying to get back to the glory days. They want to run the tables in ACC. They want to be that that premier team in Florida. Then um, you look at like. Coach Venable is going to Oklahoma. He's not really revamping anything as much as like, hey, how can we consistently take it to that next level that we really want to be at? And so I think expectations are different. I think just the – like you said, for now, a lot of these schools are bringing these big-time coaches and you have to get the sexy offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator guys that come in. And they're really being asked to like, hey, from day one, be competitive. We gotta, You got to show, show some, some type of improvement. We brought you in for defense defense got to be better. If we're watching for offense, we got to score some points. And so yeah. I think there, there there is a lot of like pressure, but it just comes with territory. And then some coaches are taking challenges. Like some coaches may have gotten bored where they are, where they just played a small school, coaching in a smaller school, they take a bigger job somewhere. And so it is interesting you allude to uh, Dan, uh, Dan, uh, the Manning coach at Oregon is because he's so young. I feel like when you take that leap into being a head coach, like it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, do you just go back to being a coordinator? You know, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like once you step out there, that's why some guys wait a while. Yeah. They don't take jobs. Like you look at Coach Elliott and Coach Venables, they waited 10 years, a decade, where yeah. they really, really tested the waters. And so it's just, it'll be interesting. I wish them the best, but it is kind of one of those things where once you step out there, you kind of, you're out there.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. And I, I love, I love your pick for, um, you know, for first time head coach. But like I mentioned them, but Dan Landing at, at has an opportunity at Oregon this year to do some special things in his first year. I mean he's got to kick off the season uh, against against Georgia, but other than that, I mean they have three tough games: BYU, UCLA, and Utah, and they're all at home and they and they don't play USC. And I love Bo Nix. I think he's gonna have a big year. Um, he's got a great staff. Kenny Dillingham's his offensive coordinator, who's another young guy. I mean, that staff's like averages. I think they're average like thirty years old across the whole the whole staff. But uh, I think they got a chance to be really, really good. Their receivers, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Chris Hudson. Yeah. I mean, they, they got a chance to 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 be good. And and the interesting thing is if they lose to Georgia and run the table in the Pac-12. Could they still make the playoff if if you lose to a one or two Georgia team? It's an interesting interesting thing to think about. Potentially, it's an yeah, it's interesting. And I, I think out of all the situations, he's got one of the most favorable ones. And I, I love I love Marcus Freeman and Interdame. I, I put them in my playoff prediction uh, last week. And did um, you really? I did. I, I'll tell you. You sound just like just like uh, just like Whitfield right now, man. He he about spit his spit his drink out when I said that. <laughs> but no, I, I love Marcus Freeman, uh, and I, I think he's got a chance to to uh, you know not just not just maintain what they built, but but improve it. And and uh, I'm all in on the on the Marcus Freeman train.
2: All right. I'm gonna, last thing before we keep the train moving. You know <laughs> when they play the first game right in order for them to make the playoffs. They got to win out. I don't see them. I don't. See no, them.
1: I disagree. I I, th- I think they can lose one and, and 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 still and still make it.
2: I don't know. Not a not as independent. I don't think so. If, like if ACC wins out, SEC wins out, Big Ten wins out, a Nerd Dame only gets gets in if they're undefeated. I don't think they get in one loss. I think they they, they yeah, have to. It, I think Ohio State ironically would get in if they if they lost nerd Dame. I don't think Notre Dame gets hit. They lose to Ohio State. That, maybe maybe I'm wrong. But I think the way yeah the it it just depends now, how
1: it plays out yeah.
2: And also, do you think they have enough firepower? That's kind of my thing about Notre Dame. I thought they're gonna play hard, but then they lost Avery Davis, um, and then quarterback situation. you lose Kyron Williams. Like you got a great tight end, but yeah, then it's got, like-
1: I, I I like Tyler Buckner too. I think he, I think he's I think he's gonna be really good. He was really good in high school. I know he's young. I know he hasn't played a ton. Yeah. But you mentioned the tight end. I'm the I'm the biggest tight end homer of all time. So I love he's like a baller. It's a, a baller. They brought in Brandon Joseph, the safety. He was one of the best in the Big Ten. Um, yeah. You know, and then uh, have you Have you seen the Chris Tyree kid run run at all? The the receiver. He's fast. He played he's against fast. us like <laughs> two
2: years ago. No, he's fast. Bro's fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and and I'll tell you what. Maybe it's just, like I also love the, the video of when Marcus Freeman was named the head coach, and those players went nuts. Like I just Media I just respect. want I want to root for Notre Dame. I want to root for Marcus Freeman, and and but I I, I think they're talented. I mean, I think they I think they got a chance to be really really good.
0: I want to ask about that. So the you mentioned the video of Freeman, right? And you guys, again, both highly esteemed players who have played for great coaches in your career. But like how much of this is just like media rah-rah hype stuff where people want to root for Notre Dame because of these guys rallying around a guy who stepped up and didn't leave them in the face of their head coach leaving? Or is that something that could actually really translate to on the field this season, like is motivation to prove Brian Kelly wrong something that will impact Notre Dame football this year?
2: I, honestly, I probably just knowing that their tra- tradition and just like res- prestige, I feel like they aren't really trying to prove Brian Kelly wrong as much as like they're just trying to play for a coach they love. Because I mean, they 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 believe in Brian Kelly fully, and like now he's gone, he obviously he went and took a bag. Hey, <laughs> teach his own, you know. Look, do go do your thing. But I think Marcus Freeman stand when he had the option to leave to me that that like garnered a, immediate respect from the players from the staff. And that's a big thing. Even the staff, to see him not leave, I think from the staff standpoint, like you create a lot of like cohesion there. And then the players that even though they lost their, their bowl game, but to still, it was still like kind of they rallied together for the last game to go play for Coach Freeman. And then going to the offseason, I felt like they've had a I feel like he's definitely you can he's a culture guy. You can just tell. You he can just tell he just bleeds it. And so I know th- those guys are ready to play, ready to believe in what he's doing. So I think it's only necessarily motivation as much as it's like DNA. I feel like he's instilling a really yeah. championship DNA into their culture and their program. And I feel like even through a video, like he's saying on Twitter or Instagram, it's really evident that those guys want to play for him.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And, and knowing how... The culture was under Brian Kelly. And he obviously did right. a great job. They won a ton of games, man. Like he yeah. he's he's really good at what he does. But I don't I wouldn't exactly call Brian Kelly like a players coach. I don't think that I don't think That's the players point. were loved him. Um, you know, again, he won games. He built he built a program up, he recruited his butt off. But I think that the the difference between Freeman and Kelly is so drastic and the players were so ready for a change. Uh just from what I've observed and people I've talked to, I I, I think I think that uh, I mean you know it's a football is a people business man. When people want to play for their head coach, it's it's it brings out a little different kind of energy. And that first game, Marcus Freeman's on water. I mean it, that's that's going to be an intense uh, intense game against Ohio State. And if and if Notre Dame can pull it off, I mean that, that's going to be uh I'm going yeah, to be I'm going to be texting Darian and telling him I told you so.
2: <laughs> it's going to be like a 14-12 uh, game if they win it because there's no way they're going to be able to score enough points. But we'll see. <laughs> You're really you're telling me that college
0: Adam Brenneman didn't want to dance on a TikTok with Brian Kelly. Really? I mean, I know you saw the video of the LSU recruits like, come on, that's not your thing, Adam.
1: Uh, I I would have done it, man. I've probably gotten some followers out of it or something. But uh, but no, you know the other interesting thing about the Notre Dame Ohio State game is what's going to be funny is if it is tight, everyone's going to be talking about how Ohio State's terrible and and they're and they're not they, they may they may not even win the Big Ten, but no one will be giving any credit to Notre Dame. They'll be Notre Dame's not good either. So it's a, it's a lose lose if it's tight, man.
0: Hey, that's just how you know us in Big Ten country. We gotta operate that no way. Doubt. You know that's how it goes. We gotta criticize the the few chances we get to criticize. Exactly. The fuck, guys. We have to do it. Uh, all right, let's let's turn the page here. Let's go look forward at games that are actually going to happen this week. Uh, the first of which, Adams' own Nittany Lions have a big Big Ten matchup against Purdue. Uh, early season game with implications, you could say. We just did poke a lot of fun at Nebraska, who Bet Rivers had as the fifth best favorite to win the Big Ten Conference heading into the season. That looks crazy in hindsight, but now you've got this Purdue team that a lot of people think could surprise and a Penn State team that at least to me feels a little bit forgotten about in the top tier of potential contenders in this conference, particularly in their division. Where Michigan has just gotten over the hump against Ohio State, and a lot of people are laser focused on that two-team matchup. So, Adam, let's go to you first. What is this game about from a Penn State perspective going into this season? uh, Do they need to assert themselves in this game, or is this just survive and advance in Week One?
1: Yeah, I I think they do, and and they need to assert themselves. I mean, Penn State, you know, for as much success as James Franklin has had at Penn State and the Big Ten Championship, and uh, for as many times as he's been a top team in the country, there they've had a rough the last two seasons. I mean, the COVID year was was bad. Last year, you know, they were they were going, they were playing at Iowa, number four in the country, and and uh, Sean Clifford gets hurt at halftime, and it goes downhill from there, and they end up losing, I think five in a row. It was it was a it was a a, a bad second half of the season. So there's a lot on the line. Coach Franklin just signed a ten year extension worth about ninety million dollars this offseason. The school's invested Ooh. in him. Um, So th- th- this is an absolute must win game for Penn State. I mean th- this is the game Penn State has to win. You can't open the season uh and, and lose to Purdue because then week three Penn State plays Auburn and uh and you know if if you lose to lose to Purdue, you go into week, week three playing Auburn. you do not want to see what happens if they're one and two going into going into week four. Happy Valley will not be very happy anymore and uh and but you know from a Penn State standpoint, I, I love Sean Clifford. I think he's a guy who's played so much football. He's had a lot of success, won a lot of games, but still gets a lot of flack nationally. Uh, but he's a really solid game manager, and I think he's going to have a good season. Uh, it's it's also his first year. Sean Clifford's never had a had an offensive coordinator for two years in a row at Penn State. So first wow. other than this year, so first year in his sixth year, he's having an OC for back to back years. Mike Yurcich in year two of his system. So I'm excited to see what they do, how they grow together. You know, they got they had a transfer, Mitchell Tinsley, come in from Western Kentucky. Manny Diaz, the former Miami head coach, is the defense coordinator. Uh, so I think Penn State's got a chance to be really, really good. They got to figure out their middle linebacker situation, um, but they're explosive. They have two freshman running backs, Nichols, Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen, who are going to be really, really good. So it's a must-win game for them. I, I, I think I think Penn State will win. I think they'll win handily. But then you talk about Purdue, who who's, has a lot of momentum right now. I mean, a Aiden lot. O'Connell. Uh, Aiden O'Connell had a had a you know a, a great season and. And it's kind of on the national stage, and has some NFL hype already. And and uh, you know there, there's there's a lot of talented players. Jeff Broms done a great job at Purdue, so it's going to be an intense game. But it, it's a must win for Penn State.
2: Yeah, I think you look at my my take on that. Um, I know he's a mini line guy himself. Uh, it's like he was saying, <laughs> just like you look at the last eight games of Penn State, they went two and six, which is like I mean that's just as much as people James Franklin's name has been in like the national spotlight for being a great head coach, it's like just consistency wise. Uh, that's like, that's a super down year to me to go two mm-hmm. and six at Penn State when you have so much like uh, just really so much pride in, in the program. And then flip side is Purdue went six and two the last eight games. And so it's kind of two different messages to me. If I was coaching those teams, like obviously James Franklin's like, hey, this is, he feels like this is where we got to get back on track. We had to, We had to come out, win the opener. Uh, make make a stamp in in the conference and then the opposite side is like Purdue nine and four last year if they're like legit and it wasn't just a a, like a a fluke year like go out and beat Penn State first game let's get it cracking again let's let's keep it rolling and so it to me it's a it's a statement game for both programs I feel like if Purdue wants to continue the success they win this game if Penn State needs to get where they want to get back on they have to go win this game so that'll be a good matchup for sure
0: Aiden O'Connell is the wild card to me. I mean, he's a guy that we've seen when he's hot is mm-hmm. dynamic enough to lead that team to wins. They might not necessarily deserve or might not yeah. necessarily, people wouldn't expect them to even be in a game. And all of a sudden they are because he's rolling out, he's escaping the pocket, he's throwing on the run. And all of a sudden he's got four touchdowns and they're in a shootout of the game. Um, so I, I'm going back to our field of 12, big 10 preview. And this was preseason pre-week zero. But we had the experts here. We had Jake Butt, we had Joshua Perry on here. And uh for, for these two teams, it's very interesting to me. Both these guys agreed. They had Penn State sixth preseason, hmm. but they disagreed on Purdue. Josh Perry had Purdue as high as third heading into the season in the Big Ten. Jake Butt had Purdue at seventh, so just below Penn State. Uh Adam, let's from the Penn State side of that. Do you think yeah. that's a little too low on the Nittany Lions?
1: I think it's definitely too low. I, I, I was going to ask you. Can you tell me who who again had Penn State at number six? Was that Jake Butt? This if it was, was Jake... Jake Butt. We're throwing that out the window, man. <laughs> this was Jake Butt and Joshua Perry as well,
0: but Jake Butt okay. was involved.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the the Big Ten's on the on verge of being, you know, one, one of the best, probably. The best, the Big Ten East is probably the best division in football, along with along with the SEC West, and and um and so I I think you, obviously you got you got Ohio State, Michigan, um, Michigan State. I would probably put Penn State at fourth in the Big Ten th- this season. I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be pretty good. I, I, again, we talk about last season. Penn State was number four in the country, going on the road to play Iowa undefeated, uh, and and Sean Clifford gets hurt. They lose PJ Mustafer, their defense tackle, and they spiral out of control. Now you have to be able to recover from that, and you can't go lose six in a row after after uh, after your your quarterback gets hurt. But um, you know Penn State's got a lot of talent. They return almost everyone. They return Sean Clifford. I think they're going to be better than, than people think. They're certainly going to be better than six in the Big Ten.
2: I, I, think, I think six sounds okay. I don't um, know. I I like I, I feel like Wisconsin. People like I like Wisconsin. They're going to run the ball. They got a good. They got like three. They got a running back stable. Three They really good running backs and. I feel like that's one of those teams. If you just can't stop the run, it's gonna be a long day for you. Now, if you can, if you can hold them on the run, they're not gonna beat you too much passing the ball. But I feel like I like Wisconsin. So to me, the the four teams you named: Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and you had um who's who's the four team you had up there? Is Michigan State. Um, I'm missing somebody.
0: So the the one that both Josh and Jake had that skewed this Iowa. a little bit. They Iowa. They had- Iowa. It was in Iowa for these two, though they had huh? Minnesota. Both these guys had Minnesota ahead oh, of Penn State on. in
1: their Rode preseason. A boat. Come on, a boat, huh? <laughs> Come oh, on, pack. the PJ Fleck ba- era. <laughs>
2: Rode a boat. Yeah, I don't know. I like Wisconsin, and I don't know. I, don't know. I ain't sold on Minnesota. I don't know. That I don't. I, I play six six sounds right to me. I like right in the middle of the pack. We're now, gonna I have to, have say, to revisit they, this. Yeah, they, they can they can definitely climb. They 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 had the p- potential to climb. But I guess going off. Right now, I like them at six.
0: Okay. We're going to have to revisit this because uh, especially even not just Penn State, but like Purdue, if you were to tell me, okay, one expert's got them third in this conference, one expert's got them seventh in this conference, my gut would tell me, I lean okay, seventh, like they're middle of the pack type team. They got to show me something before I would rank them ahead of a Penn State, ahead of a Wisconsin, ahead of an Iowa, these institutional programs that are winning nine, 10 games year in and year out. However... If they get a W in week one against Penn State and they hold their own in that game, all of a sudden I can see that stock going up and maybe they are the third best team in this conference. We'll have to wait and see. Um, All right, so let's let's go over to ACC country now. Another game that I'm very excited about in week one. We've got North Carolina against Appalachian State. This is a road game, a true road game. You're going into the mountains to take on a program that has been – absolutely dominant at home and that's not an overstatement Avalation state has been one of the best football teams in the entire country when they play on their home field north carolina off pretty much a walkover game you could say right that game was over i think before they laced the shoes up last week they've got the new quarterback he was impressive in his debut that's for sure but can you we maybe see this team on upset alert darian this is this is your country
2: do you think they gotta is worry it, about this game? <laughs> is it the craziest thing to even call it an upset? That, that's a real question. Like a real question. I mean, North yeah, Carolina report. was is, is not was an average team last year. App State went to a bowl game. Uh, you got Chase Bryce, who threw for a lot of yards last year, who's a great player. He he's got NFL talent. Um, and they're they're a proud program. App, Appalachian State has never been a program that just thinks that. They can't beat people. They, they've upset people in the past. They have that like notoriety as a program to go into places or or at home and upset people. I wouldn't even call it, a, call it an upset. I think they they can get beat. I ain't saying they will get beat, but I think Appalachia State is talented enough to beat them at home. Um, and just going off last week at UNC, I think Drake May was very impressive uh, to come in as his first start. But at the same time, they also gave up points early, and it was a competitive game to you. So I think Appalachian State can't put up points and can't scheme up something to, to carve them up. Is I think that's very reasonable. And so I wouldn't even call it upside. I think it'll be a very competitive game. I would not be surprised if Appalachian State won. Obviously UNC would be favored it, but I think it's going to be a tough game in Boone. And I know Boone's going to be rocking.
0: To your point, Bette Rivers has this game as a pick'em. Right yeah, let's pick them. So so maybe this is not an upset. Uh, and you did mention this quickly, Darian, but I just want to point this out because there was some discussion over the weekend on Drake May uh, and he was fantastic. He was fantastic in all facets as a quarterback, throwing short, throwing medium, throwing deep. His numbers back that up from his first week as a college quarterback so jury may still be out we got to see but definitely pass the test with flying colors in week one uh all right adam i'm gonna i'm gonna force your hand here if you had to go to bet rivers and sprinkle one of those two sides who wins this football game
1: yeah, I think North Carolina wins. I I, I think that the pick'em uh, on on all those sports books. I think the line opened like minus three for UNC, and now has moved. All the money's been going on App State has moved to a pick'em. So, I think uh, I think App State. The public kind of likes the bet on App State. You know, it's a cool story. App State's program has has done well. It's been hot lately. Uh, but I think I think uh, I think UNC's uh, too talented, and and May's obviously impressive. He impressed in his debut. Um, Josh Downs is going to have to have a huge game for him. The receiver, right. um, be that kind of security blanket form, that safety blanket. I love their young tight end. Uh, his Bryson Nesbitt. Uh, I, we, uh, we recruited him when I was at Arizona state. Um, he's a really talented guy. He Kind of reminds you of Evan Ingram a little bit. And and I think they'll use him in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, people forget app state lost three of their top receivers last year. And then North so, Carolina yeah. has two, has two elite corners, storm duck and Tony Grimes, if he, if he plays in the game, so. Uh, I, I like UNC. I, I don't, I, I think they'll win the game handedly. Um, you know, maybe not a blowout, but I, th- I think, I think they'll, they'll win in a two score game.
0: First team, all name uh, captain storm duck, by the way, storm I'm, glad, duck. We I'm <laughs> glad we got a mention for him. Uh, so, all right, let's, let's move to a couple other games that are on my radar heading into this week. Uh, particularly of interest due to some new faces in new programs making some debuts. The first, USC's first game this season, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mm -hmm. they're hosting Rice. This is sort of after all the buildup, after all offseason of Caleb Williams' name being thrown around, the CJ Strouds, the Bryce Youngs of the world. And he's got his deep threat. He's got his receiver who chose to come play with him in this Lincoln Riley system. Is this their time to shine? Is this showtime? Or could there be some complications, Darian? What do you think of this?
2: I look at it as like one of those things. If you're like baking a cake, we used have, Coach Swings uses knowledge all the time. He's like, you got every, you got all <laughs> the ingredients. You got the, the sugar, the butter, the flour. You got a little, little whatever flavoring. You got all the ingredients, but I think it's now it's gonna be interesting to see if they can actually put it together and make it taste good. And that's gonna be the biggest question. You have like you have everything that you want. You got a star quarterback, uh, you got Travis Dye who transferred in, you got the receivers, you got Rice, you got Addison, you got uh Williams, you I mean you got all the key pieces around him. You've recruited, you've tra- you got transfers in. And to me, now it's like kind of put it to the test, even though it's rice, and it should be a definitely a definite win, but you kind of wanna see it be a, like a well oiled machine you kind of want to see it be smooth you want to see the big plays you want to see like kind of long drives put together you don't want to see three and out. you want to see this thing really run and that's the expectation that lincoln's expecting but it's going to be interesting like i i think it. that i thought they've been working in practicing so it could go it could be that way but at the same time game time is game time and we'll see how it looks and i think the thing is no matter if they this game to me well, probably the most scrutinized game of week one outside like the ranked games because people really like yeah. there's so much hype and, and expectation because of all the things that have happened and transpired leading up to the their first their week, their game one week. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. So
0: USC, uh again, I, I keep saying it because we've talked about it all off season. I've heard, very respectable people within this own field of 12 network come on here and say that USC is a national championship contender. My Mm. question to you, Adam would be in week one, what is the number one most important thing that you could see from this USC team that would indicate to you that that's a serious statement?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's the defense and defensive line without a doubt. I mean,
2: For sure. Well,
1: the former staff Clay Helton, they 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 failed them. They failed this Lincoln Riley staff with the defensive line and even offensive line recruiting. They they've uh, they they haven't developed well. They they've um, they've done well in the perimeter, but once it gets inside the box, they have not done well. Which sometimes you can get away with in the Pac-12, but. To do what they want to do this year, and to to do the things you're just talking about with with making a championship run, it's going to be the defense. Injuries have been an issue in camp. There's there's so many questions question marks on the defensive line. Lack of depth. Um, they they have who may be one of the most talented players in the country. A guy named Corey Foreman, who was a five star recruit a couple of years ago. And um, you know, does he become a household name? That that's the big question. He should. He has the talent to do it. Uh, but but if they they want to have that kind of run, they they Corey Foreman's is gonna have to play well. They're gonna have to develop these these guys, and uh, that's gonna be the biggest question mark. But I, I'm I, I'm all in on the USC hype train. I've been on it for a while now, and I've I, I love Lincoln Riley. I love what he's doing. I obviously that offense has a chance to be one of the best in the country. I mean, when you talk yeah. about the receivers they have, the playmakers, Mario Williams, Jordan, Adams, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, and and I think you know Lincoln Riley. It's like it's an easy thing to talk about because everyone loves that storyline, but I mean, what what he could possibly do in the in in the West is is, you know, there aren't a lot of coaches that get a program with the kind of buy in that he now has from that administration that are willing to do what it takes. They want to be great so bad. Um, he will always bring in better talent than the Pac twelve, and then when it, when he, they go to the Big Ten, he's going to have to recruit the offensive defensive lines and compete with the big dogs. But uh, but I, I love Lincoln Riley. The the reality is this storyline is not about Rice and USC. No one really cares about that game. This is about college football is better when USC is really good and, right. uh, and everyone wants to see, is it for real this time? Cause we've been hearing that USC is for real for a long time. I mean, Reggie, we, 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 the exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, well, but I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, man. It's been a long time since they, since this liner was dishing that thing out.
2: Yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute.
0: Yeah. You're not wrong. All right. So from a program where we're saying everybody wants to see if they're for real, now I'm going to single a certain player out that you could say that same thing about. That's Spencer Rattler to me, yeah. okay? He's finding a new home here at South Carolina. They're hosting Georgia State in week one. And again, not to, not to over-scrutinize, but this is a guy who was the odds-on favorite to win every major award in college football just a calendar year ago. And now he's at a new program, right? So you could say the jury's out, or you could say we already kind of have a verdict on Spencer Rattler and this is now his chance to rewrite that verdict and find a second life in the late stages of his career. Uh, let's go to you first Darian on this one. Uh, what does Spencer Rattler really need to do in week one for you to maybe shift how you view him as a quarterback?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, that's a great question. Probably the bigger storyline in South Carolina right now is the fact they came to a decision making on their mascot. I don't know if you've seen this or not, um, but <laughs> their their mascot they had some something wrong. with The owner made them change the name, or something crazy, crazy story. And a couple of names were up were Cock Commander, yeah, Cock Commander, um, <laughs> and that was one of the options. And I was like, if you if South Carolina does that, like they're doomed forever. But the name they came up with, uh, let me make sure I get it right here, uh, is the general. So you know what, you know, it's from Commander General. I, I salute it. The general was a good was a good <laughs> one. So salute to South Carolina for making a great decision for the program. Uh, even though I went to Clemson, I'm not a South Carolina hater per se. I'm really not. Like I, I'm from the state of South Carolina. I love to see. I feel like like you talk about when they're good, it's good for the state. It's good for recruits. It's good for everybody. Um, and so I'm a fan what Shane Beamer's doing. And I think yeah. that really goes into what, to Spencer Rattler. I feel like he, Spencer Rattler went to a coach who he believed in, who he seemed promising, taking over his program. And year one, they went seven and six, but it was, it was a very competitive seven and six. Like they, they lost a couple close games. Um, and I feel like they really, hit him as a coach. I think amongst coaches earned, earned respect in that program. You could definitely see them playing and just moving with a lot more culture and pride. Like, not like they have been in the past, like kind of getting some swagger about themselves. And so I think Spencer, Spencer to me is going to be the the front front driver to how this this ship's going to go. Um, if he goes, because that's kind of been always the thing. They they need some more firepower offensively. They need to be more, they need to be more cons- consistent. They always have good running backs, uh, a decent offensive line to get the ball moving. But to me, what really separates them or could separate them this year is having some air raid like being able to make some plays down the field, being being able to consistently kind of throw intermediate throws, but just having a rhythm. They haven't had, like a, to me, a solid, dependable quarterback to do that. They feel like they have the receivers and the talent. So, to me, Spencer Rattler is the missing piece for them to really potentially run the tables in the East. Um, and, obviously, Georgia, to me, Georgia, besides Georgia, I think everybody else is beatable. Like, I really think that's, like, a legit thing. I think everybody else is beatable. Either Sacramento has beat them the past year or two, or they are beatable. And Kentucky's kind of a twinner to me because Kentucky could be like a, a real contender. But I think they're they, they going to make it competitive. So I like Spencer Rattler. Um, like you said, I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for him. It's, and not only just in college rewriting the story, but to me, to really put himself back up there in the NFL conversations, to be in one of those premier picks, first rounders. He's, he's going to play a bunch of marquee games, a bunch of SEC talent. And he has all the opportunity to me to really put himself back in the conversation.
0: Darren, I want to put you on the spot quickly because we are we are in the transfer portal area era where people can change like that. Snap your finger! Yeah, and I want to I want to understand just how much you like Spencer Rattler here. You're a Clemson guy. If you were Clemson's offensive coordinator and you could choose between your guy DJ under center or Spencer Rattler,
1: oh, good one.
2: Who who are you taking? <laughs> I'm taking Big Cinco. <laughs> I'm taking a big them. they in the same situation. They both, like, underperformed last year. And I'm taking the guy who I know as character. And, like, look, people uh, – I think DJ is the, probably the biggest question mark at Clemson this year, and, and he's not – he knows that as much as anybody. But I think the kid is super talented. Uh, he played very banged up last year, and we, we didn't have any choice but to keep throwing him out there because we had no depth of quarterback. But this year, the kid's lost, like, 20 pounds, slimmed up looks good, looks confident. Um, and just to see kind of Coach Sweeney rally behind him like he has in the media, One, it's a good mark of a good coach, we obviously we obviously talked about kind of how coaches say things out in the public they shouldn't say. I think one of the good, good markers of a good coach is saying things in public that you know your players are going to hear and you have having their back in, in public. This whole offseason, Coach Sweeney has, has said nothing, but he's been honest and truthful because he's like, he, he's got to play better, but he's had his back. And so I, I'm taking Big Sinko.
0: All right. We, we have just over a minute left here. Adam, let, let's just wrap up South Carolina with this. Can they actually win the SEC East? Yes or no?
1: I don't think so. I mean, you look at their schedule. They got to they, they play at Arkansas. Uh, they go to Kentucky. They have to play Georgia, Texas A&M. They play. They go to Florida. They end, up, they end the season with Clemson. I mean, I, I think their schedule is too difficult. I do love Spencer Rattler, though. I loved what Shane Beamer doing, like what Darren said. Uh, and I think people forget that the surrounding cast that Spencer Rattler has at South Carolina is impressive. Jaheim Bell is going to be an NFL player, Marshawn Lloyd, Josh Van. The transfer from Oklahoma, the tight end, Austin Stogner. So he's got a good cast. Um, and they're gonna be good. They're gonna be better. And Spencer Rattler deserves a second chance, this kind of second coming of his career, and I'm excited to see it. But do they win the SECs? I don't I don't think so. But they're 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 gonna have an improved season.
0: Was that your way of just saying there's levels to the shit out of that? There's definitely levels. Season.
1: It was a very politically correct answer. You know, it made made everyone happy.
0: (laughs) Understood. Understood. All right. We appreciate everybody for watching after dark. Uh, Again, if you did check us out on YouTube, please click subscribe. We see everybody who likes and comments and we really do appreciate it. We will be back here all season long, including tomorrow night where we've got Felder. We've got Clint coming back on and we've got Kevin Sumlin for the second time back here on the field of 68 after dark for Adam Brown. For Darian Rancher, my name is Greg Waddell, and we'll see you tomorrow.